Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the fifth episode of the Freedom First podcast with your host, me, Jake Cornell. This episode is brought to you by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution would like to remind you that it is there to protect your freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, and right to petition. It prohibits the government from making laws which regulate the before mentioned. With that said, thank you very much for listening, and let's get into the podcast. We are live. Hello, my friends, and thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Freedom First live stream and podcast. Today, we have a Republican candidate for New York Assembly District 124. He is a businessman and an Army veteran. He says we need to stop this trend and allow our citizens to keep more of their hard-earned money and make New York a business-enticing place to open and expand into. He has my endorsement. Please welcome... RC Ike. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jake. Great to uh, have a chance to kind of chat with you on this. I know we've uh, gone back and forth on phones and texts and things like that, but uh, kind of a, as close as we can come to face to face right now. It is good to finally speak to you and semi person, uh, virtual person, I suppose. So what's going on? Um, tell the hundreds of people that will see this who you are and what your campaign is about. Well, I'm, I'm R. Dyke. I grew up here in Forsyth uh, High School. Um, graduated from here, joined the Army right out of high school, uh, served in the Army for seven different years, for seven years, uh, over in Germany for two as a, a nuclear weapons Pershing missile. Uh, reclassified, went into uh, inpatient psychiatry, and specifically ended up working in inpatient psychiatry, drug and alcohol counseling, terminal ill counseling. Uh, left the army after being honorably discharged at the end of my, my term. Uh, started a sonic drive-in uh, down in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and then I uh, moved from there to Atlanta where I left, uh, sold my sonic, started up with Party City of Atlanta. I was there for uh, almost 10 years. Met my wife. We have three early children. And uh, when my parents got, you know, as they got a little older, got ill, I kind of looked back in the area and saw a void in the market for the party supply business, decided to move back to be close to my family, open the business, loved, um, you know, I loved uh, the opportunity to uh, raise my children, raise our children here in this kind of smaller community, um, kind of that backyard, you know, have all four seasons type of uh, situation. And uh, just recently closed my store uh, this past year to uh, pursue uh the position, as well as I also do uh, real estate. And I think it's... So you're in... ...frustrated with 13 years consistently had regulations, taxations, new laws, new guidelines, new insurances, new... And every time it just took a little bit more out of the pocket. I'm like, you know, something needs to change. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't seeing the change happening at all. Um, and... Uh, I think it's time for, for people to stand up and, and be heard. I agree. Uh, I think that, especially when it comes to the assembly, you and I are both running for assembly. Uh, and I think that we both yep. kind of realize that a lot of people don't know who their assemblyman is. If you ask the average person out on the street, chances are they're not going to know who their assemblyman is, and they probably won't even know uh, what, what an assemblyman does. Um, so we, I think what I saw in you in uh, you know, we, we both kind of stepped up to the plate and said, look, guys, you know, I'm running for assembly. This is what I want to do. This is what I have to bring to the table. So I just want to jump into some issues here. When it comes to the Second Amendment and how the New York state government has seemingly had a vendetta against the Constitution, what is your stance on the Second Amendment and how has your district been affected and what can you do about it? What can we do about it? Well, the I mean, the Second um, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's ambiguous in any way. Um, here we've had a, in our area we've had a number of rallies, Second Amendment type rallies uh, to ensure that those things are happening. Having been in the military, uh, I've fired more rounds than I care to think about. 
Um, and, um, you know, I, I come from a family of hunters, um, you know, small game, big game, bow, uh, you, you name it. And I think it's, I think it's, why do we have to repeal some of it? I mean, why do we have to take it back? Why do we have to adjust it? Um, you know, I thought, I thought one of the silliest comments is says, oh, you can kill us. You can kill a turkey with one, go, you know, it's a seven and all this, this other nonsense that they did. And then on top of it, when they make, they try and make those laws, they don't even think about uh, some of the other things that might be in, in that. The original rep on it came out and didn't, didn't exclude our, our law enforcement. So you're telling seven, you can have seven rounds in your clip, and let, but even that's for law enforcement. So law enforcement's supposed to. Oop. I think we lost you there for a second there. By the things that you're using to uh, say, it was ridiculous. Yeah, could you repeat that last part? I think we you just cut out there for a second. Oh, you know, the, so when they made the the adjustment on the uh, safe act, safe act, say only seven rounds, mm -hmm. they didn't exclude our law enforcement on it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just the kind of uh, out of touch they how how to touch some of our uh, legislators are. Mm -hmm. I mean. So you're, tell, you're telling the, the standard state police, uh, sheriff's department, all those that have a, a pistol that they're issued, that 10-round clip, that they have to take three rounds out mm -hmm. before they can go on duty? It's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's silly is what it is. Um, and I yeah. think a lot of it's, we are predominantly controlled as a state by downstate Democrats and, you know, a, a very, uh, uh, New York city has a strong, uh, uh, strong arming the upstate. And what I think the, the Democrats downstate failed to realize, and I fight for my district first, I then fight for my state. And then I fight for my country. I fight for my, my local community first. And they don't understand that our local communities statistically have been extremely responsible with firearms and that we've had no problems up, you know, when, you know, yes, in the city, you might have a problem, however, leave upstate alone. So on that note, when it comes to the proposed bill to split New York into three autonomous regions, what do you think about that? Right. I, I support it. Um, actually brought up by our, uh, one of the co-sponsors is our state senator, uh, Tom O'Mara. Uh, he was a co-sponsor on that piece of legislation. There are some details in there that I not agree with, but the idea as a whole is a great idea. It's actually in traction. Um, sadly, our, our current assemblyman voted against that um, piece of legislation in the assembly. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I personally think it's a good idea. And I think, you know, I'm a libertarian, you're a Republican, uh, and there are still there's still a divide in New York State, even though the Republican conference is a minority in New York State, there is still a clear divide, uh, a clear, uh, we're clearly not united in, in New York State on what we stand on. Um, you are an outsider in that regard when it comes to being a Republican. And I, I just wanted to ask you, because you did seek the, libert the libertarian, uh, uh, take uh, on the libertarian line, the candidacy for the libertarian line. Um, you've actually been endorsed by, I think, Jim County for the libertarian party. They, they endorsed you. So the Correct. libertarians in your district Correct. love you. Um, yeah. What do you think? From so, I would I would assume that you are you know you you're a Republican with a lot of libertarian values. There's a lot of Republicans in Congress and Senate and the Assembly with libertarian values. Where do you think the Republican Party needs to grow? So, as somebody who identifies as a libertarian, me myself, I was a Republican, longtime Republican, and now I'm a libertarian. Um, I, I I have been waiting and waiting for the Republican Party to grow. However. It's just not happening. Uh, where do you think the Republican Party needs to go? And how do you think you can go about making that change? Well, I, I, was, I was happy to get the endorsement from the Libertarian Party here, as well as uh, Stormersman, as well, from the Tioga County area. Uh, we just, because we crossed three counties, we had uh, one of them who, who has now resigned in his position, um, who had just, just some other things going on and failed to, to come to the table on that. But the, I, I'm a constitutionalist. I mean, we have a, a we have a U.S. constitution. 
um, and when you start dealing with those, I think you're cutting out there you know, a little bit. Federal or state. You're you're just cutting oh, out there a little bit. Go so, ahead, you bring it back to where you were a constitutionalist. I like that. Yeah, so you know, I believe in the U.S. Constitution. I mean, the Tenth Amendment's pretty clear, uh, as well as all the amendments. Uh, I, I support them all. the The Tenth Amendment says anything given to the you know that's not expressly written in the Constitution is a state issue, um, and that's where that's where I really feel you and I are running for these positions to ensure that not only is our federal constitution protected and that there's not layer additional layers and layers and layers of uh, regulations and more laws uh, put onto the people, uh, but also that uh, we understand we have a lot of rights uh, on a state, local, county level um, because of that 10th Amendment in the U.S. Constitution. Right. And I, that's, that's what I like to tell. I'm, I'm freedom first. I'm constitution first. Before we, before we get into the political party, before we get into uh, economic policy, I am, I am freedom first, purely freedom first. I uphold the constitution. I fight for the constitution. And I think what a lot of people, both on the left and the right failed to realize is that the Constitution was written at? It is a document that reflects the study of of human innovation and evolution, and and scholars like James Madison and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson wrote this document knowing that. It, 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 they didn't write it for the period of 1776, right? They wrote it because they right. knew that it, it it had to transcend past time. People had to it. it we it was written so we could be free to grow and protect it. Our rights would be protected by the Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, my friend, and also the right to keep and bear arms. <laughs> Bingo! Exactly. 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 The uh, you know the, one one of the things I love with uh, with changing. I mean, there even within the Constitution, it it has very clear. Uh, for the three different departments of our concept of our government, you know, New York State has, you know, we have the assembly, the Senate, executive branch. We have just we have things, uh, and there's a reason we do checks and balance. There's a correct way to make adjustments in the Constitution, and then there's correct ways to even after those laws are made that the judicial system court has the has the right. To say, you know what? That's not constitutional, not even for the U.S but also not against our state constitution. And I want to make sure that uh, we also have those uh, people in place to ensure uh, that we're all being held accountable to those standards. Um, we, we weren't meant to, the, our, this is the lowest house in New York state, just like Congress is the lower house in, in the uh, federal government. The idea that we're supposed to be the closest connected to our people. We should be the ones who are bringing these laws about or bringing in legislation or stopping legislation that oversteps, overreaches, and is suppressive to uh, the people because we're the ones that are directly connected to the citizens of the state or the federal government. And I think you touched on something there that is really important. So you say we're directly connected to the people of, that we represent, a district, our county, um, small government matters. Correct. And we need a smaller government to be more efficient. <clears throat> you know, the left will always argue that, you know, we need to raise taxes. We need more regulations. We need more restrictions. We need X, Y, and Z to, to, to make a better prosperous society, more control, more government interference when you know, the Republican Party and the Libertarian Party, to be quite frank, is all about less big government. Let the local guy do his job because the assemblyman is the guy that's supposed to be in touch with this community. He is hopefully always the guy that is, you know, visiting every small business. He's the guy that knows the name of every business owner in town. He's the guy that's going to keep his community's interests at heart. Regardless of political party, also we live in 2020, and I don't know how right. some Republic—I don't know how—not Republicans, sorry, assemblymen or senators or congressmen—I don't know how they're not getting these constant emails, text messages, Facebook posts, and just seem to be ignoring them. You do need to pay attention, especially if those people do live in your yeah. district. Yes, and you know, I know you're constantly out there. I'm the same thing. Um, I think that the, the the coronavirus and all this other stuff has just shown that some of the some of them are missing the opportunities. And that's really how I look at, you know, whether it be social media, emails, other technology sources. These are great 
opportunities for us to stay connected to the people that put, elected us. And they didn't elect us to lead. They Well, they elected us to lead, but they also elected us to listen. And yeah. I think that's something that some of our uh, elected officials forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not it, America wasn't founded on the idea of tribalism. And George Washington warned of political parties for this reason. He knew that if we had political parties, it would get as bad. And actually, I don't think he even thought it would get this bad, but he knew it would get bad. And he right. knew that the, the, we would have a result like we're having the infighting that we're having today on Capitol Hill and in Albany. And he knew that, you know, there would be instances like we have in New York state where there is a party that has an overwhelming amount of control and half the state will never have a voice or half the country will never have a voice. It happens every year. We play the game of left, right, left, right, left, right. I would prefer if I didn't need to call myself a libertarian, I would prefer if I just called myself a guy with ideas that wants to bring them to the floor on behalf of the people of the 121st district. That's what I would prefer. <laughs> yeah. You know? I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, 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 and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a uh, big supporter of the, the, this, this piece of legislation parse out the state into three kind of autonomous areas. I mean, sure. we're doing it even with the Corona, we, we decided, you know, the governor uh, and his advisors, whatever, decided to say, you know what, let's break New York into 10. Well, three is good, 10 better, however you want to work it, that we have a lot more control at the local level. Uh, because, because local government is more you know, efficient. Our, our, we're more efficient. We're more effective. We're more accountable. I mean, it is tough for a local politician, a local government to sit there and just you know, throw willy nilly to the wind and do stuff when they know they got to go to the the grocery store, Wegmans or whatever up the road, or, uh, mm. you know, the, the local ca- cafeteria or diner or whatever. And, and people are going to be sitting there going, why did you raise my taxes? Why did you change this regulation? Why did you trample my rights? Why did you do those things? Let's talk about those rights for a second. When we're talking about rights and, and and when I started my campaign and, you know, we, we obviously we're two different political parties, but I think, you know, what's fortunate is that we're both reasonable men. We can both talk about things and debate things. Um, but at the very core of all of this, we're talking about civil liberties being infringed. And at the beginning of my campaign, I was about freedom first and freedom first for me at the beginning of my campaign applied to the Second Amendment. It applied to legalizing cannabis, which I'm, I actually don't know what your stance is on that. And, and, and making sure that, you know, freedom always comes first. Before we start talking about how we're going to tax something, we need to figure out how we're going to legalize it and make it safe and regulated. Um, same with firearms. You know, before we ban things, just because we want to get rid of them, let's talk about it. Let's <coughs> figure out some reasonable regulation. Reasonable, not, you know, left gets to choose every single time, but reasonable legis- le- legislation that maybe perhaps there's a law out there that, you know, will ban firearms in New York City, but New York, upstate New York is totally exempt from that. That's something I'd be willing to talk about. But now, instead of, you know, focusing on those issues, and it's hard to avoid during all of this, the coronavirus has done something to um, the American government to show its true colors, to show just how far it will go, how many civil liberties, you know, the American people are willing to give up in the name of safety. When I can't go to church, but I can go to Walmart, I think that's an issue. Uh, where, what would be your way of managing? If, if you were in the assembly right now, what would you be saying? What, what ideas would you be bringing to the floor to handle social distancing or, or perhaps just, you know, how would you attack this? You know, just with the coronavirus, all the things that are going on, I think the, I think one of the things is glaring in this is that one size fits all cookie cutter type of, uh, reaction is just not, it's not the economy. It's not good for people's mental health. It's just not good for local communities, things like that. We're, we live in an area where, you know, I mean, there can be a, a, a large portion of it. There can be money between neighbors. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's social distancing already happening. Uh, statistics that came out about a month ago when this was happening before some of the regulations and laws and things like that, where some of the heavy handedness of the government came in, uh, they said that, you know, a lot of people were 
if they were just informed, if they were just given the knowledge of how this thing spreads, things that they can do stay safe, uh, and and give them an abundance of knowledge. That's that's the great thing that you know our government can do is they get a, a boat a boatload of information. It's they just need to disseminate it. And if they disseminate it, it the, the statistics actually showed that seventy to eighty percent of the people of the population would have just got. I think we lost you there for a little bit. Guidelines. Uh, wearing masks, putting on the gloves, using the hand sanitizer, using social distancing, minimizing your uh, going to in stores. But what happens is when you shut down, like in our area, there, there was roughly uh, 100 plus retail type stores that were shut down. Well, mm -hmm. then the government's now basically picked her. They've picked the winner and that is Target or a Walmart uh, because they get to stay open. Big box uh, stores. Whereas all these other local business yeah, the big box stores get to win on this because they get to because they're deemed essential. Uh, the employees of all those other businesses are probably sitting there going, "Well, I felt kind of essential when I was mm -hmm. selling clothes, and but no, the only place to buy clothes is Walmart or Target because they're the only right. open or online." Uh, so, which is what not I beneficial to local economies. So. I think you're talking about something very, very important here. When the Democrats are the party against big business, when they're the party that says big, big time capitalism, you know, you capitalist pigs and, you know, we hate capitalists. We hate big business. <laughs> we hate the success of, you know, large corporations. And yet the only businesses they see to be fit to be open are Walmart, Target, uh, you know, big box stores. And when your local farmer's market can't operate, but you can still go to Walmart to get your groceries, that's a big issue. Uh, and I think people are waking up to that. Originally, at the beginning of this, this whole pandemic, uh, you had you had a lot of people who said, you know, skeptical people who are skeptical of the lockdown, like myself and you. Uh, who are who are, who are offering ideas, trying to be reasonable about this. And whenever we have an idea to end the lockdown, they're like, oh, you don't care about my family. You don't care about me. That's what you, you just want to get a haircut. That's what this is about. When those same people, two days later, I see on Facebook saying, oh my gosh, guys, I don't know what's going on. I just, unemployment's a joke. PPE is a joke. You know, I, I can't put food on the table for my family. And now you just want to chime in and say, you really are just wanting a haircut, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and and that's one of the things I actually uh, drafted a letter, sent it off. And, and that's, I mean, do you really think that your local barber, your local hair salon, your local uh, niche uh, retail store, your local restaurant, whatever it is, mm. you think they really want to do harm to their customers? These are yeah. the people who really are their bread and butter. These Again, it's that local connection that they have to have an answer for. If they don't do the right things, if they don't say, you know what, no shirt, no shoes. Everyone's had that sign on the door for, you know, since I remember, since I was a kid, mm -hmm. uh, which may, and when I, that, that actually stopped me from getting some of the stores, no shirt, no shoes. But, um, you know, they, they, they could have put a, a sign up there that said, hey, you know what, it's my choice. It's my business. Uh, if you would like to come in, I'm requiring a mask. Because I want to keep you safe. But as soon as you make it a law, or they didn't even have that option. They had New York State say, you know what? It's not essential. Lock your doors. Go home. We'll send you a check whenever we get around to it. Yeah. And it is, it is ironic to me when New York State's best solution was, oh, my gosh, there's a super virus. We should lock everybody inside and force them into a sedentary lifestyle and risk their financial stability. There's nothing that's bad that's going to come out of this. And we're not going to worry about people's mental problems. We're not going to worry about, you know, what they might what extreme lengths they might go to 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 try to weather the storm. But when you're talking about small businesses, right. when you're talking about small businesses, you have those small businesses who, you know, I would argue this. People are saying, you know, well, we can't keep those small businesses open because they don't have the provisions to pr provide masks or gloves or, you know, to, to they can't be policed well enough. I would argue that every small business, I mean, yes, there's going to be a few stragglers that are not probably the best, but Correct. for the most part, generally, I'm going to guess 95% of all small businesses care more about their customers and their customers' well-being and the customer's ability to return and interest to return than Walmart or Target or Best Buy or any of these big box stores. I guarantee you 95% of the time, small businesses are going to care more about their customer base than big businesses. So it's 
fairly stupid to say that these businesses don't care about their customers' well-being and that they won't go to the links to protect them. It's stupid to say that these people won't be wearing gloves or won't be wearing masks. It's it's ridiculous. And when somebody makes that argument to me, I just kind of shake my head. Uh, you know, the, one of the uh, I, I do want to mention this is, I mean, there are two realities going on. I mean, there there's the reality that we're discussing right now. All these smalls are closed. They're suffering. They're, they're, they're losing income. They're losing customers. They might have to close the doors. They're not going to reopen. They're not going to be able to feed family, you know, all those things. And that weighs heavy on their psyche. But mm-hmm. there's also another reality in there is that uh, you have a family member who is directly affected by this. Your reality mm-hmm. just changed if mom or dad, sister, brother, your child, all of a sudden, your, your whole opinion on this, you're going to be sitting there going, you know what? Never until my kid is healed or my daughter, son, daughter, mom, whatever is healed. Or they're directly servicing those, you know, tending to those people. You don't see anyone out there. You don't want to see anyone out there breaking the rules. Um, and that's a reality to them. That's their reality. And I get that. I, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we can't get we can't get aggressive to the other side. Going, you know what? You're just always wrong, and this is going to be the way it is. This is it. Because what they're going through is not what we're going through. It's you know, true. I don't have someone who's directly affected. I don't know if you have any directly affected, but I don't have any directly affected. I have family members who work in the medical field and I, and I'm, I'm praying for them and concerned and touch base with them on a regular basis to say, you know, are you getting the supplies? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting good sleep? Are you sanitizing your hand? What can I send you? What can help can I give you? You know, and sometimes it's just mental breaks because they're in long hours. Uh, they're, they're stressed out and, and, that is their reality. And you know what? It we represent we'll be representing both those realities if there's ever a situation like this happen. And we have to make sure that we're just we don't just take one side and go, you know what? This is it. Um, yeah. I love our small businesses and I, and and the best way to do it is let's let's give them some respect. Let's give them some opportunity to do the right thing and let them stay open, let them have the opportunity to uh, follow some guidelines, give, get some advice, get them the supplies they need to continue to perform the business, just like we're doing with our first responders. We shouldn't say, you know what, businesses, you're on your own and everyone else gets 100% of the resources. So. It, 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 there really is no good answer to, to all of this. It's a really sticky situation right. that our, our whole planet was not prepared for. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't claim to have all the answers. I claim to offer up solutions. I will always offer up solutions. I'll always speak. I always speak my mind, but I don't. And this is, you know, nobody knows what they're doing. You know, the governor is, you know, being praised because people are like, Oh, look how great he is. He's doing a great job. No, he's doing his job. You know, he's doing a job, the job he was hired for. And, you know, is he right? Is he wrong to do what he's doing? I don't know. But what I do know is when people say it's better to be safe than sorry and then lock down the entire state, we are going to end up more sorry than we are safe, (laughs) you know, and we're also when 66 plus percent of all people who are in the ICU because of coronavirus, uh, when those people were were quarantined or isolated, self-isolating, there is we already know from, from just that statistic, just from that metric, that there is no way to protect yourself from this. And, and keeping yourself quarantined and keeping yourself locked inside wasn't about killing the virus. It wasn't about waiting for a vaccine. It wasn't about waiting for a treatment. It was to slow the amount of people entering our hospitals. And when you have hospitals that are right. working at 30% capacity, 50% capacity, there's something wrong. Right. Here in the upstate, we, we have... Um, you know, hospitals working at 30% capacity, they have to furlough employees. They have to lay off employees permanently and not just janitors, not just secretaries, doctors, nurses, and EMTs and people who save lives. They're getting furloughed because those hospitals aren't making enough money. Are you seeing that in the 121st district? Uh, In the 124th, yes. uh, Yeah, so they they are lifting it. I think it's by... Uh, county by county, they're lifting the bans on elective surgeries, 
which is really one of the ways that hospitals have an opportunity to generate some income. Um, and also those doctors, nurses, anesthesiologists, operating room technicians, those type of people have an opportunity to come back to work. Uh, one of the things I, you, know, uh, you kind of touched on was I think that you know, solutions. And when we do a shutdown, when the, when the governor just does a shutdown, the problem is, is then there's like, okay, well, we did a shutdown because in their best interest. How do we reopen? I think there should have been a day, a day, two days, what, however you want to work it, where options were talked about. I think that the when we have more people involved in the conversation, uh, you have more ideas. Uh, but I mean, you you talked about the U.S. Constitution and and Madison and Franklin and those guys. They were open. They talked about this. They did not generate constitution overnight. It wasn't like, all right, let's everyone throw something on a piece of paper. These are some good points. And we're, it's yeah. just going to be me that's going to go forward with this. Everybody get you know, a beer I mean, from our was, friend, Sam Adams. And, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, 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 they literally made the discussion over beer halls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> so, it took a long time to put together. It, it took weeks. Maybe it may be longer. I don't know. We weren't there, but it didn't, didn't take two days. It wasn't just like uh, Thomas Jefferson drafted it and just handed it to somebody and said, Hey man, does this look good? No, they passed it around to many, yeah. many, many people, many, many people who are very, very, who are very, very intelligent. Uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin was a polymath. He was a scientist. He was a poet. He was a scholar of history. You know, he, he was a businessman. You know, these are people who were very intelligent and they knew what they were doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's one of the things that, um, yeah, it was a shame, but I, I do see that there is some additional input happening now. Um, and, it, and you know, in his defense, you know, I, I, I credit where credit's due. But I have seen him back, the gutter back off on things um, more during this than I have in past years. Uh, yeah. You know, what whether it's you know, trying to trying to bring up shit to come take ventilators from upstate, you know, or transporting people around the state or doing different things. You know what? He's like, you know what? I made that's not a good idea. It's not well received. And whether it's popular or not popular, at least he did the right thing. Um, you know, I think it's a terrible idea to 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 activate the militia or the our you know not activate yeah. our national guard and ha have them start traipsing around New York State pulling ventilators to the hospital. I was in the army. You know what? You know where you're trained for in basic training. It's not about going into hospitals and ventilators. Those those men and women in service do a phenomenal job, but most of us are trained to do something else: communications, military police, you know, field artillery, you know, infantrymen. I mean, that's what we're trained to do: not go in and out of hospitals on New York State. Yeah, and and you know, I think you just touched on something. You were in the <coughs> army. And I'm sure you're familiar with something called an unlawful order. And, you know, there, there, that's been, that word's been tossed around uh, a lot lately. Um, and, and I think it was in uh, Sacramento, California, there was a huge protest and the police were forming a line and they had clubs and they were ready to keep these people away from the Capitol building, keep them away from protesting. And a Marine stood up on a podium and said, are you guys familiar with a, with a megaphone and said, are you guys familiar with an unlawful order? You know, because in the Marine Corps, I learned honor, honor, courage and commitment. And this is not what honor, courage and commitment is. This is this is listening to a guy that you don't agree with, you know, and there's and there's, you know, in instances like that, I think it is correct to kind of reflect on is what I'm doing right. And there are people who I know who are in the National Guard. I have friends who are cops. I have friends who are in the National Guard and they're, they're just like, I just don't want to go to work. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Well, no. you know, and I, I, they, they they do a tough job to do it in and out. I've got uh, funny is I actually have a, an employee of mine who is now I think about a week or so away from starting basic training. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, they, th those things continue to move on, and the, the men and women in service, um, you know, they have a they have a tough job every single day. I know there was downtimes, and you know, if you, you, you so, I mean, you understand that there are downtimes, but you're trained to do one thing, and that is defend our country. Um, and that call can happen at two in the morning, two in the afternoon. It can happen on a Sunday, it can happen on a Wednesday. You just got to be ready for it. And you know, you, you we sign the line to say, we're going to protect this constitution. 
up to and including our the the, the gift of life. That's mm -hmm. what we that's what we gave. I mean, it was a check we wrote, and um, you know, and I don't think we should be uh, utilizing our our national guard or our military to to stop people from peacefully assembling, to stop people. From um, you know, or to go into go in and out of hospitals to take ventilators. Uh, right. That's not what they're there for. No, it, it's it's not what they're there for. And uh, just to talk, you know, you got the the people on the left who are terrified of you know the, the national guard or the or the police coming into their homes and taking. The, the, I would say the skeptical left, the Democrats who aren't socialists, who are very middle, and they 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 are skeptical of the the the, the, the shutdown. And they don't want their family to be separated from them because the WHO did recommend, you know, pulling people out of their houses if, if they had the coronavirus. And I, I have a friend who is um, very anti-gun, very anti-gun. One of my one of my friends. And uh, just recently he asked me, hey, man, how do I get a gun? I'm getting kind of scared. Oh, oh, so now. Now you want a gun because now you realize how important it is to have one, <laughs> you know, and it's just hypocrisy. And I think the coronavirus has done some good things in that regard. It's woken a lot of people up uh, for all of its the, 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 the atrocity that it is for all the bad it has done for all the people's lives. It has ruined. Um, it has woken up a lot of these people because we're so plugged in all the time. You have a generation of, of Americans who can now vote, who, who grew up in a common core public school, who were told that they can do anything, who got a gold medal for everything that they've done because of participation. And now they're waking up and they're realizing that, you know, the liberal education system was wrong and that, you know, there's, there's more to just face there more, there's more to life than just Facebook and, and hopping on a social justice warrior campaign. There's more to that. There's independent thought. And there's, and, and right. a lot of people are starting to realize they have to start to think for themselves during this coronavirus because nobody really knows where it came from. Right. Nobody knows where it came from. Nobody knows who made it. Or, or what made it or what made it happen or what country it really originated from. Most people's place say China, most people say bats, but there's, there's other theories out there and people are thinking. And now when it comes to civil liberties, you had those people who are on the left who might've actually even supported socialism, but now they're hearing um, you have to stay inside of your house. You're not allowed to go outside. You're not even allowed to go hiking by yourself because you can give somebody coronavirus. And that kind of makes them do a double take. And now they're thinking, Oh my gosh, yeah. I should go get a firearm because stuff is getting really real. And these conservatives were right. I do need to protect myself. And the second amendment is important. So <laughs> what, what, the, you know, I mean, we, I mean, we, we talk about the different things that are being mentioned. Uh, you know, I know um, uh, churches around here uh, actually had their church service canceled. Uh, Cause what they, what they did is did something different. They understood they couldn't have, the, the guideline regulation, whatever it was, mm -hmm. they said you can't have people in the building. So what they did is they did it right in church. The pastor or preacher went out. They bought us. They have a, a tractor trailer type stage. They preached from there. The people sat in their cars, stayed feet apart, uh, kind of popped their head through the sunroof, you know, waved, whatever, stood up during this praise and worship and singing and whatnot. And you know, they did that for a week. And then all of a sudden they were shut down. Well, the problem that is we have freedom of religion. Uh, did you shut the, you know, so what happened is a, a large, there was a number of, uh, number of uh, legal organizations that reached out to these, these churches and, and they, you know, all that stuff kind of got rolled back. It was, you know what, you can't do that. You know what, you can give them, tell them how things are supposed to be operated. You can, you know, make sure they're doing it. You can request that they type up a letter that says how they're going to perform the you know, their services, how they're going to maintain social distancing, how they're going to have masks, all the safety precautions, mm -hmm. but you don't want to shut them down. And I think that's a, I think it was a good example of how, you know what, we're smart people. We can come up with solutions. You know, I mean, uh, I've invented different things. I think one of the things that's been great for farmers, and I know you're one of your, one of your, one of your big projects and things and, and background is farming is, uh, I think something that happened to us seven or eight years ago was <clears throat> farm to table uh, restaurants. Mm -hmm. So what happened was, you know, farms were able to bring their food directly to the, some of these restaurants. Restaurants butchered them, 
so on and so forth. Well, that's a great example of how we can operate now. You know, mm. we don't have to go through all the regulations. Get the cow to the store. Yeah. And the coronavirus has kind of done what I've always wanted. And it's actually on my website. You know, I, I said that and it, actually there was a story in Pennsylvania. Let's talk about that. In, Pen- in Pennsylvania, there was a farmer who decided instead of dumping all of his milk to bottle it and sell it because instead of wasting this, yep. instead of going bankrupt, people want to buy milk. There is a yep. demand for it and, in, and, and they're willing to yep. give money for it and, and screw what the government says. I'm going to bottle my own milk and I'm just going to start selling it. Good for him. Good for him. That's exactly what I want, guys. That's exactly what oh, I want to happen all the time. And farmers need to have that freedom. Farmers need to have economic freedom. And I've been telling people, yeah. uh, uh, there is no fine in the world that will do more damage to a farmer than the bad juju that comes along with selling bad products. If you sell bad products and you're a farmer and you have bad services, nobody's going to buy from you. That's how capitalism works. Nobody. No. Nobody. Yeah, right. Sure. Have right. have the safety standards that need to be there. there. There are definitely safety standards that we need to adhere by. Exactly. However, there's a lot of those standards that aren't really safety standards, but more so a uh, best way to describe them is obey me and pay this fine, pay this fee or else standards. That's what that those, a lot of those really are, you know, and the coronavirus has woken us up yeah, in I that mean, way. Yeah. I mean, farmers, businesses, you know, people, people try and there's a distinction. Farmers are business men. You know, they're, 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 they're business owners. They're small business owners, big business, whatever it is. I have an uncle who owns our, who runs our family farm with my cousin. And I remember uh, when I moved back here about 13 years ago, I went out there to visit with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the farm and I'm sitting there. I mean, you know, it looks, here's a farmhouse. There's a barn. There's tractor. There's the silos, the bins, everything else. And, um, you know, I told him, I said, yeah. I said, that's pretty interesting. How do you get it? Because you're out here in the middle of nowhere. How do you get stuff to the things? And we went inside, you know, uh, talking. His, his computer that's always running and it's running like it's a stock market mm-hmm. but what it is is yeah. the prices of the crops that he's going through and it ha- he's like, got to sell at this point i gotta drop this point oh here's the gps that runs on my the tractor to make sure i don't miss swipe because if i miss six inches over a, a thousand feet i miss a whole row which could be the difference between profitability and non-profitability on that crop I mean, so they, they, they are small business owners. They're looking at maximizing their land and the cost they have in it to get it to the market and selling it for the best price at the best time. I mean, it, I, it was just amazing. You're right. Farmers are smart people, man. Farmers are very, very, very smart yeah. people. They don't have time for bullshit. Excuse me, but they don't. You know, they 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 work eighty hours a week, and without them, you would not be alive. Seventy percent of this planet relies on farming for their livelihood, and without them, you know, if we don't help farmers, if we don't let farmers breathe, if we don't lift the restrictions off their shoulders, then they're never going to flourish. They're never going to flourish. Now, I, I do want to. I do want to. <clears throat> kind of bridge this into a different thing. And, uh, you know, New York state is $15.3 billion in the hole. Now we were 6 billion before all this started, but now we're 15, I think it is 13, 15 billion. Um, I want to talk well, about, we, do, we just made a, re- we just made a request. We just made a request to the, we need $61 billion. Otherwise we're going to be uh, bankrupt. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, the governor's really holding the state hostage until he gets his money. Isn't he? Um, when, you know, he could yeah. just open up the economy and stop taxing people so much that would have, you know, solved the solution a long time ago. Uh, but let, let's talk about something that, you know, I'm not sure what your position is on it, but, but cannabis, cannabis, I I'm for a safe, regulated, taxable cannabis market. And when we're in a, a big hole, $15.3 billion in the hole, when cannabis has the ability to generate $1.3 billion in tax revenue off of an 8% tax, you know, what is your position on cannabis? I think it's going to help farmers a crap ton. What do you think? Well, you know what? This is up. It comes up every election year or so. And um, sadly, I think our governor just did a, a seven state tour uh, mm-hmm. to uh, on the taxpayer's dime to go to the states where it's legalized 
Um, and but the number one thing he was looking at at those states was how much money he got it. And I think that's a terrible way for anyone to make a law or look at it. I'm, you know, I'm sadly I'm going. What about other are there other things that we should be looking at? Are there health things? Are there regulations? Are there distribution things? Are there, you know, how how it affect their so? I mean, other other issues. But instead, it's like, you know what? You guys made like like you had just kind of said one point eight billion dollars. We cannot have a government that only looks at their people, crops, businesses, solar, wind. I don't care what it is. We cannot only look at things solely and strictly in a, a numerical number. We can't. Uh, because the government's looking at a crop. We if they look at the crop that way. They're looking at the farmer that way. And they're looking at the local businesses that way. And they're looking at the individuals that live in the state as the same thing. You know what? We got millions of people. If we just raised all their taxes a nickel, we're going to make a bunch more money. That's not the way we should be looking at things. I'm saying, you know what? We have all these millions of people. How about if we only give them all a nickel back? Then where would that, how would that spur the economy? You know, that's, yeah. that's how we should be looking at things. Uh, so as far as legalizing, I think there's, there's plenty of room for discussion on it. Uh, I am not against it. But I think that it needs to be done the right way. And I think that it, just looking at it in a financial and taxable situation is a hideous way to look at it. And yeah. I, I don't want government that only looks at uh, individuals or anything just as a dollar thing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it is, it, it's undeniable how much money you would, the state would make in taxes. And you're right. You shouldn't just look at it from a financial standpoint, from a, from a dollar sign. But you should also take a look at it. Yeah. In my opinion, I, I it, it's mostly it, there's there's so much that goes into it. First of all, you would be introducing a new industry to the state. You would have a new cash crop that farmers could take advantage of. That's why we bridge this farming conversation exactly. into yeah. this new cash crop: hemp and marijuana. And you know, Republicans want weed, man. And Mark, I, I think it was uh, <laughs> who was it? Rob Astorino. Rob Astorino ran, and he was like, "I'm going to be the governor to to legalize cannabis." A Republican in the most in the most progressive state in the entire country. You know, he ran on that point, <laughs> and that's when I, you know, as I was a Republican at the right. time, and I and I listened to him, and I'm like, "Oh my God, this guy's making a lot of sense." You can make a ton of money off of it, and then I started working, and I start, I started working in the CBD industry. Oh my God! You know, did you know the Constitution of the United States of America is written on hemp paper? It's written on weed paper. The same thing that you know, it's it's written on that. You know, uh, the same thing that Cheech and Chong has been talking about. And for me, for me, it's a freedom issue. It's a freedom issue. You know, freedom comes first. You know, yeah. as long as you, if we put 21 and older on that label, if we say we put the right, the, the right, you know, regulations on it, the right amount of testing, by the way, it's not just farming that we're talking about. It's not just retail that would make a lot of money. Right. We're talking about manufacturing. You're talking about uh, not just, just, you're talking about laboratory testing, the medical industry that will benefit from it. And there's a lot, a lot of things that you can take advantage of. Um, so we talked enough about pot. Yeah, absolutely. No, one of, one, one of the things I do want to mention in there is, I mean, uh, we've seen a rise around the state of CBD stores, mm -hmm. uh, even other, other grocery stores and other things, drug stores and what CBD type products um, throughout, you know, throughout that stuff. And they, they've done well, um, you know, they get back to the community. I don't know all the difference between, you know, CBD and the THC and things like that. Sure. Uh, but yeah, there, there's... Alcohol. So I, having worked as a drug and alcohol counselor um, and statistics, and I'm just going to throw the, the, some of the information that I had there mm -hmm. was alcohol physically, mentally, uh, circulatory system on your heart, your brain, everything is worse on your system than marijuana. It, and it, it doesn't it, mean you shouldn't drink all, it. All, all, and, and that, you know, I think one of the first steps that probably should change is, is I think our federal government should drop it out of what is it, a category one mm -hmm. uh, narcotic or whatever it's listed. It should sure. be listed as that. No. So, and I think um, that would be the a, a great first step. And the other thing I think states have an issue and I think states rights have, you know, states that have mm -hmm. done that. I think they're, they're, they're making some good ideas, but the reality is, is still, as long as it's listed as a federally, uh, you know, on, at the, like I said, I think it's a category one. As long as it's listed as a federal one, 
then if you cross that state line with it in your car, you are breaking a federal law. You can go to federal prison for that. So yeah. I think the, the, the top one, it needs this change on the federal level and then allow the states to make their own decisions, whether they want to let it grow, how they mm-hmm. want to handle it. And again, not just, as, hey, look, we just found a way to, because if they find another $1.8 billion in, in cash from taxes, from cannabis, we're just going to find mm-hmm. new ways to spend that. Yeah. Not try and reduce the tax or reduce our tax overall. I mean, start with the New York State lottery. So, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, talking about taxes, and, and, and yeah, the New York State has a really bad habit. If you get, if Governor Cuomo was a five year old and I gave him a hundred dollars and to go buy whatever he wanted in a candy store, he would spend the entire 100, you know, <laughs> and then he would, and then for some, for some way, he, he would buy $120 worth of candy and then come back to me and say, you owe the candy shop owner 20 bucks. What do you mean? I only give you a hundred. Yeah. But you know, yes. Yeah. It's your job to figure that out. And he just Uh, constantly, every year he hits a double whammy where he raises taxes. He spends too much and he taxes too much. What the hell? (laughs) ridiculous as you were saying and and new york does that and new york does this terrible new york does this uh terrible process we do the state budget is you want to have a state tax number above 10 percent so what they do is they they they, then they say you know what we're we're going to stay at that 9.1 that 9.2 that 93 whatever percentage they decide to go to Mm -hmm. and then all these other programs that we usually have funded we're just going to roll those down to the counties and the town the villages or whatever it is. And then say mm. you and roll down those unfunded mandates. We're not going to give you any money on it. So what happens is then they have taxes on property, the school taxes, city taxes, fees, whatever it is. And the collectively New York state is what third, uh, we're number one. We're number one in most taxed state in the yeah. country. And we but also have fourth or fifth in population. Yeah, you know, and a lot of that goes to education. A lot of that goes to education. Uh, I think that I think that's the biggest. That's the yeah. most. We spend the most money on education in New York State. Speaking of education, uh, the, the the ridiculousness of our education system right now. You know, obviously, Common Core wasn't that special. Standardized testing wasn't that special to give people a regents degree. Uh, but we'll we'll yeah. we'll really get into a little bit. But I think that the government needs to realize, you know, money isn't always the answer because New York State tends to treat. Yeah. Uh, every program like a blackjack table. Well, this program's suffering. Let's put more right. money on it, hoping that we'll make some progress. When really they should be looking for we'll more double efficiency. Down. Yeah, double down. Let's let's bet right. more money this year. Let's see. Let's oh, we spent sixteen billion on education last year. Ah, oh, man, they didn't do so well. Let's let's make it seventeen billion this year. No, stop that. We're yep. we're gonna we should we should be um figuring out ways to make to, to allow not make but to allow new yorkers to be more productive uh let's look to increase efficiency instead of increased spending that's that's what you know the, the that's what we're trying to accomplish that's that's this should always be the answer what rules and regulations and restrictions do we have on teachers and what rules and restrictions regulations do we have on any industry that we could lift to help them breathe better um, teaching, for an example, you need a master's degree in New York state to have a teaching job. Why? Why? And I'm not discounting that teachers aren't special. I'm not discounting that teachers aren't important, but why, why do you need a master's degree to be a kindergarten teacher when in every other state? Well, you don't? You know, and, yeah. It, it, you know, education is just one of those other type of top down. Now it's become top down run organization from our federal government the state and then down to the counties as opposed to the other way around. I, I believe that the teachers that I see here know what the right thing to do and how to educate a child. Mm-hmm. I don't need the federal government who says, okay, you know what? New York wants money for education. I'm going to give them money. But they come with you. You have to do comedy. You have to do this. I think we're losing you there. You have to do uh, what it is uh, throughout the whole process. It's like you you took our money in federal taxes. Now you're now you're giving it back, but you're only giving it back when we uh, on conditional stuff. 
I think yeah. that's a terrible way to go. I think the state does the same thing as they go to the counties and go, you know what? Here, here, we took your taxes and taxes part of that nine, almost 10%. Mm-hmm. We give you back a smidgen of it if you if you do exactly what we say with the schools. Yeah. But, and yet we have school boards here who are stuck with their high saying, we shouldn't be doing these things. We can't be, we can't do these things, but we have to. If we want that million dollars from the state, we have to do the things that cost us you know, 1.2 million, which means now we have right. to raise our property taxes and school taxes right. in the area. Uh, and it's, the, the government should be run at the lower level where it's most accountable. Uh, and, and I also, and, and teachers, are the same. teachers do a, a, a difficult job because they thread that line of saying, well, we, we see the waste and some of these and, and, and unfunded mandates that, that, that so we're going to make it up and teachers, teachers are buying their own supplies. It's teachers. Like, Wait a second. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. T- teachers know how to do their job better than any person in Albany could ever tell them to do their job. Yeah. And teachers are so important. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. they learn they're skilled workers that are important for the nourishment of a child's uh, mental capabilities. If, if you really want to break it down, that's what a teacher's job is. And right now we're, we're seeing teachers who have to teach from home. These kids don't get to have that interaction with their teacher like they normally get to have. And sure, kids will have a bad teacher every once in a while, but it, it, just like everything else that builds character later on in life, they're going to say, Hey, you know, this, this is somebody that well, it, it builds character, but also if, if they're, if you're being, you know, if your local authority and the, the is here by the school board, then you know what you're, you're really, it, it's easy. It's quick. It's efficient. They can buy that bad apple. And let's, mm-hmm. let's, you know what? Not everyone's supposed to be a, not everyone's supposed to be a teacher goes into the profession. Sure. That's fine. And I, when I had jobs that one of the sayings, one of the sayings I tell my employees, I'm like, you know what? This isn't a perfect fit for you. You know what? Right. Whatever it is, not that you're getting fired, not that you're, you're, you're stupid or, or there's something wrong. This isn't for you. But there is something for you. You have a set of skills. Teaching just maybe. But and and you know, but that has to happen at the at the local level. It does. Um, and again, if we release some of that federal and state uh, authoritarianism, then then that'll happen. Yeah, and I think authoritarianism and, is and, the best way to describe and, it. And everyone wins. Our our schools, our students, win, and ultimately our future wins in that situation. And, and right now in New York state, it, it, the way they give money out to schools is through these standardized tests. And it, for the schools that do very, very well, they get a lot of money. For the students that schools that don't do well, they, they don't get hardly any money. And you think it would be the opposite. You right. think that you would help out the schools financially that need more programs they need better teachers, a better staff, better facilities. And you would, you know, maybe, Oh, this school's doing well. Maybe they don't need as much money next time, you know, because <laughs> they already have all that. Um, it's, it's an imbalanced system. And this coronavirus has done nothing but break that system in half and forced the state both on the left and the right to relook at how we're going to educate our children in the future. And specifically, how are we going to go back to school in September? You know, how would you, what would be your recommendation uh, to, as an assemblyman um, to reopening schools? Well, I, it definitely wouldn't be like the governor said, we're just not going to go back to school. We might just do everything virtual because that's how it's working now. It's not working now. I mean, we are, the you know, we're making the best of a bad situation, um, which is, you know, part of being a New Yorker. You know, yeah. we've been 9-11. We've had the other situation with storms. We get the bad weather. We get floods and rain. And hail. the other day we had, I think, all four seasons. And one day it was sunny, hail, snow, rain. And then strong mm-hmm. winds all in one day, but you know, I mean, we we are ready to uh, buck up and 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 get back to it. But again, we want to do it smartly on on those situations. <clears throat> on the on the the um, we'll think we should look at. Let's not say we're we're not going to open them. Let's not say we're virtual. I think the plan should be the plan. You know what? School starts right after Labor Day. Let's get back to it. 
I agree. Just let teachers teach. And and when we're going back to school, uh, especially <coughs> since we have we're, we're in a lot of debt right now, we're in a lot of debt. Now is a good opportunity to cut some administrator salaries who may be making too much. And also I, I've, I've always been an advocate for to, to, to lessen the amount of school administrators that are in New York state, because statistics tell us that there are some school districts with more school administrators than there are teachers. And we are in a ton of debt right now. Yeah. So why are we paying these people? I'm sorry. I'm not discounting that you're not a good employee. <laughs> but if we're going to run the country like a business, like Donald Trump says, just to quote Donald Trump, you need to make these cuts. If, if we're going to survive, we need to cut off the fat. We need to get rid of the unnecessary, the unessential uh, you know, things that our state is paying for. And it's not to discount that these people don't have value in the in the education system. But when we go back to school in September, we're going to need to make some really good financial decisions to increase efficiency or keep the efficiency that we have whilst cutting some money. Yeah, my, my thought would be when we go back to school, I, I, I would be uh, with you. I think uh, I'm probably on supporting a piece of legislation that would say that, you know, let's let this, the counties keep all their money for schools. Let's let all the districts keep all their money. Don't send it to the state where it's filtered through. You send us a buck and we send your cents back. Let, let's let let them keep it and let put that that responsibility on these, the boards, the school boards, the local school boards who have to sit there and go, you know, for years we've done it, you know, we've, we've got too many administrators, but yeah. we couldn't do anything because it's how the state has to have it set up. For us to qualify our you know a portion of this or or whatever it is it's it you know i'd rather have those those decisions made at the local level um the other thing i think that's i think is a mistake and as and we're starting to see it now more and more in new york opening up to um community schools and that is where they're kind of allowing opportunities for schools to work with pro private local businesses which I think come from Georgia, that was huge down there. I mean, there yeah. would be businesses that would, you know, they would pay for a class, they would pay for a teacher's salary to teach that class, whether it be, you know, business, it could have been a, sh or a shop class. You know, they, they helped cover some of those costs. They may have paid for the materials for that class. They may have paid for the computers for that class. They may have paid for the, the trip for that theater mm -hmm. class or the instrument or the bus or whatever it is. We need to have a good integration between the private and public sector on schools. I, I, I agree. My, my daughters, I, I just want to remind everybody, I went through the public school system. Uh, my oldest daughter goes to Oneida. Uh, she goes to St. Patrick's private school here in Oneida. They don't have nearly as much money as the public schools do. They don't have nearly as nice of a facility. However, because the teachers have more economic freedom, and because the schools ran like a business, those kids are learning far better. They are getting a far better education. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go to a private school. What I'm saying is a very, very good education can come out of far less money. Because if you go to a school in Georgia, if you go to a school, name the state, name the state, Utah, Florida, Florida has half the budget that we have. Actually, they have less than half the budget that we have. Two million more students in a far better education system. Going into September, going, into, going back to school, we need to realize that there are ways. There are obviously ways to have a better education system with less money. Yes. So, you know, one of the things I know the United States is that's exactly what we are. We are 50 United States and we have 50 microeconomic systems and 50 heads of schools uh, in each state and 50 directors of education, probably thousands of uh, superintendents. And I think the I think one of the areas we should be looking at is, again, if we kind of pull it out of in the the central board of education and and the uh, in the in the government and make them more a resource center not a financial it's a position where you know at, like you said utah sends their information the best practices and we have seen phenomenal results in these 
And then the, you know, Californians and their stuff. And what happens is they're like, New York can go in there and go, almost like I even go, hey, you know what? That worked great. We can adopt that. Oh, that worked great. We can adopt that. Oh, the, yeah. there's materials and resources here that, that you guys came up with that are letting us use them. Great. We have, I mean, educators have great minds and great ideas. Let them do that. Let them, let them ha again, have a more open relationship, a more communications between the states and, and go, you know what? How are you doing on $5 less per student? Yet you're beating us in results. How are you doing it with smaller, bigger buildings, less sports, more sports, uh, or, or cities, or towns, or moral areas, whatever it is? How are you successful in it? And have a chance to have a conversation with that or, you know, or a central resource facility. And that's what the, the federal government should be. It shouldn't be, you know, we're going to take take your dollar and we'll send you back 30 with some strings attached. <laughs> no, yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. And then also they, they won't give right. some money to other schools because they're not doing so well. Um, we talked about education. Right. We talked about the Second Amendment. We talked about cannabis. Um, we talked about coronavirus. We talked about the lockdown. Um, and we yeah. talked about how we can implement uh, reasonable legislation and, and going into the new year, going into 2021 and going into the 2021 school year in September. We talked about how education is the biggest thing that we spend money on as a state and we need to figure out how to spend less money. We had a really good podcast. I want to give you the floor for a couple minutes. Tell everybody what you're about and why they should vote for you. Jake, I want to say thank you for having, uh, or having me. And uh, I, I am, you know, in a nutshell, I'm all about less regulation, less taxation, more local control for uh, all those things. Um, better, a more friendly environment for our families for our businesses, for our veterans, for our first responders. I hate seeing, you know, our, our first responders retire and leave New York. Uh, I mean, and, you know, police and the jobs, they retire and then they leave New York. Uh, we need to stop that curve. We lost 75, over 75,000 people just last year, 2018. And the number was in all righty. There you go, everybody. RC Ike for you. Thank you for tuning into the Freedom First pod stream and, uh, live stream and podcast. I hope you all have a good day and the lockdown. Good night, everybody.